Right away, I, I heard the crowd go, ooh. So I when I first hit it, it was like, boom. It was almost like a flash grenade went off. So I was like, tried to get up to celebrate. Once I couldn't get up, I was like, all right, can't move right now. My, maybe I got a full body stinger. From there, I was like, I tried to take a deep breath and I couldn't breathe on my own. So I felt like I got the wind knocked out of me. I'm like, oh man, I said maybe I knocked the wind out of myself, but I can't move and I can't breathe. This week on Heads and Tails, I'm excited to bring you the epitome of sports perseverance, Eric Legrand. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, but you can always control how you respond. This is my response, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week we hear from Eric Legrand, who was a defensive tackle at Rutgers University until he suffered a career-ending spinal cord injury. Since then, he has been signed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, won the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance at the 2012 ESPYs, had his number 52 retired by the Rutgers football team, and was named the most influential person in New Jersey sports by the Star-Ledger. Now let's get this thing started. So first off, I want to thank Mike Kuzniak, uh, Director of Player Services at Rutgers Football while Eric was uh, playing there and when I was a student there because without him, this interview probably wouldn't have happened. Mike Cruz is the man. Yeah, hooking it up with the gear all the time. <laughs> um, so let's start off by just talking about um, you know, how you got involved in sports as a kid. It actually started, you know, my family is a bunch of athletes. They're a bunch of actually basketball players and track, you know, a lot of track athletes in my family. And when I moved to Avenel from Woodbridge, it was one town over, I grew up on a block where there was two kids that were my age, and there was one kid that was about five years older than, than me. And their big game was kill the man with the ball. Oh, okay. And then my Similar to football? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my house had the corner lot, so I had to, a, lot of, a lot of grass on my side. So okay. they would come over and play at my Your house. yard was the field. Exactly. And then uh, the kid that was five years older than us, of course, he would throw us around most of the time into the fence, into the house. Yeah, didn't take yeah. it easy on you? Not at all. He was, he was like, it was like – <laughs> He would, he would get after us, and every now and then I would juke him out, and I would score a touchdown. I was the only one who could do it at that. <laughs> at, I was four or five years old, and right there I had that adrenaline rush at that right. age. Right, scoring the touchdown. And, yeah, my friend after that, Doug, who was my age, who played with us, his mom was signing him up for the Port Reading Saints, and I said, I want to play too. My mom said, I want to get him into sports anyway. All so. right, cool. That, that's how it all started. So I remember I was reading your book, and you said that you were big into baseball too. You're a big baseball player. Um do you think that playing baseball made you a better football player or, or vice versa? Playing football made you a better baseball player? I would say, you know, mentally, you know, being baseball, you know, is diff- different mentally, especially being a pitcher. You have to handle a lot of things, especially at a young age. You know, a lot of kids, I figure I saw in baseball, they would cry if they got str- if they struck right, out. Right. Or Typical. Out. Yeah. <laughs> I nev- never would cry. I never would do any of that. And then, you know, if I lost, you know, then I would just have to handle it and go on from that. And I guess it teaches you life lessons, you know, as a kid, you know, growing up, not – you know, playing the game of football to you know working as working hard as a team. Me and my when I was, I was getting older, always had to lose weight to play, so had to have some type of right discipline. discipline exactly, exactly. So it taught me. Talked about lessons. your mom's cookies in your book. It's exactly. Hard yeah. for me to <laughs> to resist cookies and too. Very hard to resist. So is that that was tough. And then of course, like I said, playing baseball, same same thing. You know, when you you lose, you got to find a way to pick yourself back up. You got to. Help your teammates. You know you're not going to win every game. Exactly. You know, it's, it's just life lessons that you that you learn playing the, just playing sports overall. Yeah, awesome. Um, so who was the biggest influence uh, on you as a kid? As a kid, actually, I would say it would be 
between my mom and my friends because I grew up actually in a neighborhood where a lot of kids were older than me. Okay. A lot of them were. I was a lot, I was always young for my grade, but then I was hanging out with kids that are three, four, or five years older than me too. So being able to try to compete at their level, right, and made you a better athlete. Exactly, it made me try to. You know, I wanted to, I wanted them to know that I was working hard and I I was good. You know, we were always playing a park. You know, sometimes I'll get them, sometimes they would get me. You know, yeah. go back and forth. But then when you see me actually competing, you know, at at an actual level with kids my age, right. I was the one dominating out there. And I always wanted to make them, you know, exactly. like, look what I look what I'm doing when I'm playing kids my age, or look what I'm doing here, this right. and that. So kind of that, and of course my mom, who always made me work hard. You know, I was, and I'll tell you a story. I'll never forget when I was about ten years old, and uh, I had football practice one day. It was in the summertime, getting ready to you know go. So just leading up to the games, and I'm right. like, I just, I, I'm like, I want to miss practice. I want to hang out in the park and play football here. I'm like, I'll show up for the, you know, when it's important for the games. And my mom drove into the park, grabbed me by my shirt, threw me in my in the back seat of her car, drove me to football <laughs> practice, and said, "You committed to this, you're going to football. You're not just showing up for the games. What's wrong with you flipping out?" I mean, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. And from there, I was like, "Whoa!" You taught me commitment at an early age. Yep. I think you mentioned that in your book too. Mm. I feel like I was like. I loved your book because I felt like I was talking to you the whole entire time. <laughs> That's how I wanted to make people feel. You yeah, know, like, it was especially people that know me, you know, personally too. Like, like you're having a conversation with yeah. me. Like, he's like, you're hearing these stories. Like, you know, the some of the people in the stories. You exactly. Know, you know where we are and stuff like that. So I'm, and that's why I wanted it to be for people to just be like they were talking to me. It was cool. Um, what injuries did you suffer from as a kid? That's that's a great question. So I didn't have many injuries at all growing no? up as a kid. I sprained my ankle before I. Had one actually concussion playing football, I believe, when I was in junior peewees. And one game I got really beat up, and I remember I thought I had a concussion. The doctor just told me, keep me up for most of the night, don't go to sleep. And, you know, this is back in the 90s. So right, people weren't really exactly. talking about concussions like so that. So after that, after other than that, I was fine. You know, I stayed up most of the night. They didn't, I didn't go to sleep. My mom didn't let me, you know, I was exhausted. And, you know, next thing you know, I was fine. You know, yeah. Other than that, but. Mostly a sprained ankle was the most. Oh, and I always used to talk about it. Tell so me, like, you know, I never got hurt playing football or any other sports really. Yeah. Then I go and break my neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it went extreme to the next. Exactly. So. Um, so in your book, you actually talked about some concussion-like, you know, things that you had while mm-hmm. at Rutgers and stuff as a fullback. And you know, for people who know my story, that's you know, something that I've been influenced by strongly, you know, with hiding symptoms and playing with concussions. So, you know, do you think that there's a way to make football safer and, you know, kind of take the head out of it or? There's no way you can take the head out of the game of football. It's just a part of it. I remember, yeah, no, I remember making a tackle in the Army game beforehand and I thought I may have had a concussion because I made a big play and I stood up and I started walking to the sideline and I thought it was my sideline, but right. it was armies but then i got to this back to our side i found and i sat down i shook it off my mic do i have a concussion but maybe i'm just running off of pure adrenaline right because i feel great you know right so it makes you question it but when the game of football it is a dangerous game you use your head i just think the safer that they try to make these helmets you know the helmets are evolving i remember the helmets that i played in the pop warner and now i see some of the, the pads that these, these guys got in there now it's like wow it's, yeah much different it's a whole lot different and you know the game is a violent game you know you got Especially as you get older, you got grown men running full speed. Right, full speed other. at each other. So it's going to be something violent hits. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes you do face concussions and even worse, sometimes paralysis like me. But, you know, the game game of football, I don't think you could ever, you know, make it that, you know. Right. A great job already. The essence of the game is to hit exactly. people. Exactly. So. It's just not. It's, 
if you're gonna, the only way to make it, you know, not with the head, is to play flag. Yeah. And still, you're gonna get your head knocked around. Exactly. Yeah. Reaching for stuff. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's hard to avoid. Um, so before we get into your uh, spinal cord injury uh, at the Army game, and I, and I was actually on the field uh, for that, um, you had your position changed by Coach Chiano a couple times uh, when you first got there. And I know a lot of athletes probably come across similar things, and mm-hmm. might, it might not be an easy thing for them to handle. So can you talk about how you kind of accepted that role and, like, what was going through your head at that point in time? Well, in the beginning, it was it was rough. It was Funny, because when I first got moved to linebacker, it was the first day of training camp. I was in linebacker all summer long, and I'm, like, working hard here, and then they moved me to defensive tackle, and I'm 232 pounds. And I'm like, what's going on? I'll never forget when Coach told me that I left his office. I was mad. I didn't know what to think. I'm like, what's going on here? And the first person I talked to in the locker room was Marvin Booker. Okay. And he goes to me, nah, E, don't let them do that to you. Go back up there and tell them you want to play linebacker. This is what you hear for, blah, blah, <laughs> Hey, good I'm luck like, with that. Anyone and, who knows Coach Yano. <laughs> and, and, but he pumped me up. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go up there and I'm going to do that. And I went back up there and I was like, Coach, I don't know if I'm ready for this position. This, 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 this. He told me, he goes, listen, we have a lot of depth right here at this position right now. We want you to play early. We want you to get involved in special teams, but we also want you to get involved on the defensive line. We don't want to hold you back from growing and making you be on a diet your whole entire career here. Right. You know, we've seen that your body weight can get up higher and, and this and that. And I'm just like. All right, you know what? I'll give it a try. He goes, yeah, try it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah, try it out. <laughs> of course, uh, from there I went to defensive tackle. And then week two of the season, you know, I went made it to training camp and everything. Week two of the season, Gary Watts tore his ACL for the week going into North Carolina. I remember and then they had to move, They had no one to back up Jamal Westerman. So now they moved me to defensive end to play to now back up. So you're up all over Westerman. the place. So yeah. I was like, my like, dad, what's going on here now from there? Then later in the year, we were having f- uh, trouble with the fullback position. They moved me to fullback for two games. I played the UConn game and the Pitt game at fullback. fullback. Yeah. And then after that, they're like, all right, you maybe are not a fullback. So they moved me back to defensive end, played the rest of the season at defensive end. And then at the end of the year, they said, all right, you're going back to nose guard at defensive tackle. And I was like, all right, I've been all over the place now. <laughs> I'm like, you know, from in the beginning, I'm not going to lie to you, it was rough. I didn't like it at all. So I'm like, this is the longest season ever. I'm like, this isn't like high school. Right. And then the biggest shock to me was coming in on Sundays and coming oh, in practice, at, on, uh, Sundays. practice on Sundays. And the only team in the, college football that practiced on Sundays. And <laughs> going through <laughs> developmental periods. and try, So I, I would actually play a little bit in the game. You know, I'd be a little bit sore. And they're like, yeah, right, you're going straight to developmental in the beginning. And I had to go out there and I was – and the developmental trying to get better, you know, going playing with the people that didn't play that that day yeah. or whatever. And it was people don't realize it rough. it's a grind. Yeah, it was rough. And I was asking, I questioned myself a lot. Like, is this really what for you me? Is, do, this yeah. what, is this it? Like, where am I going from here? I'm playing. Four so, what kept positions. you going when you had those thoughts? Honestly, what kept me going is just my love for the game of football and me being a team player. Like I've been my entire life. Right. You know, I've always been a team player. I've always put the team before I put myself in. I just always said, I'm like, it's going to get better. I'm in whatever position I'm at, right. I'm finally, I'm going to get good at it, and this is what I'm going to make my career out of it. Because I always wanted to go to the NFL for my – I always thought I was going to be the next Ray Lewis, but, hey, maybe I'll be the next Warren Sapp now. You know, that's what I was thinking. Then when they moved me to fullback, I actually didn't know what was going on there. To be <laughs> it was only for two weeks, thank God. I, was, I didn't know what was going on there. There you go. But then when they moved back to the defensive side, you know, and I just, just took out my role on defense and – Playing special teams and doing that, and I found my home there. You know, I was yeah. Talk about yeah. That. Talk about you know your role on special teams and kind of how you were like the enforcer out there. Yeah, they they feel like they put me in a position where I was the guy on kickoff return. At first, it was 
that was knocking guys out. Setting pretty much the people would set up the wall, and I was taking out the guy that would be the last guy to the wall. Yeah, I was the guy to take him out, and then to set set the edge for. Were for, were there um, wedges when you when there when were they, there were um my freshman year there were allowed three men three or four men wedges okay. actually because I remember. So you're the wedge buster, yeah. I on kickoff, I was the middle of the wedge buster kickoff, but I started off on kickoff returning. Now, now I was uh, in I'm the wedge. Gonna, I was no, I, I was actually no. Somebody would set up the wedge, and I would come around and blindside somebody. Not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I took out a few <laughs> dudes that, and they said, oh, "Wow, I'm like, he's doing so well on kickoff return. Let's try my kickoff." And right, that's where I really found my home. I was the guy who was in the middle busting up the wedges, but I was able to bust up the wedge and still make tackles there. So they, they, they <laughs> there you go. Kickoff. Yeah, it's impressive. It takes some uh, tenacity to. To do that, it's, it's, it's fun in the games. Practice wasn't so fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, what do you got when you're doing it in front of fifty thousand people? It's exactly. a little more worth it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so we already talked about how you kind of sustained a, a concussion. You know, before your uh, you might have sustained mm-hmm. a concussion before your spinal cord injury. So can you kind of take us, you know, through what led up to October sixteenth, two thousand ten? Like, did you ever think that? You know, do you ever think about getting hurt playing football or? Never. Never. Like I said, I've, I had a sprained ankle in my sophomore year in high school, and I had to sit out for a practice or two, and I remember that killed me. Killed me inside because I was the type of player. Somebody was getting better than me. Right. And like, somebody was doing something, and I couldn't do it. They're, that means they're It's a helpless feeling, me. yeah. So helpless. I'm just sitting there watching. I'm like, this is miserable. So, other than that, I never had an injury, so I never really thought about it. And paralysis? Forget it. I didn't know what a spinal cord injury was and being paralyzed. Right. What what comes with? I had no idea. Never even thought about. It. Never crossed my mind in my entire life. Yeah. And then you know I did my regular stuff on October sixteenth, two thousand and ten. Went through my regular routines. I went for a home game. We left the Hyatt instead of driving over to High Point Solution Stadium. Now we went drove up to MetLife. The MetLife, and I remember just getting there, seeing the posters of with us, and you know, going through those, going into the Giants locker room, like things like that, or whatever locker room we were in that day. It was it was awesome, you know, and then. Just went out there just like a regular day. Went through my regular routine. Went out to the field before the game. and didn't happen until the fourth quarter with five minutes left in the game. So right. The game was almost over. So pretty crazy how it went down. Yeah, so can you, like, take us through the play? Oh, yeah. And I was so on that particular kickoff. I was, well, that whole game I was facing the double team. So right away when I kicked off the ball, two guys were coming at me. And on that kickoff, I was able to get right through them. So I had a good 30, 40-yard head start at the guy when I said I was going to make a tackle on Malcolm Brown. I was like, all right, running down the field. How do I want to make this tackle? Do I want to use my head or do I want to use my shoulder? And I said to myself, I'm going to use my shoulder here on this tackle. I'm going to put my head down so it goes on the side of his ribs or on the side of his shoulder pad, not even in the in the play at all. Right. And from there, I actually, my, our teammate Wayne Warren got down there a little bit before I did, and he tripped him up a little bit. And as he tripped him up, Malcolm Brown turned and twirled in the air. And as he twirled in the air, I put my head down thinking. It was the side of his body. Exactly. Yeah. And his body got twirled in the air. Next thing you know, the crown of my head ends up hitting right on the back of his shoulder blade. And that's what caused the caused the accident right there. They said it was like the fastest man in the world. Usain Bolt running full speed into a brick wall. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the collisions on kickoff are, are pretty crazy. So what was going through your head immediately, like after that? Right away, I, I heard the crowd go, ooh. Right. So I... When I first hit it, it was like, boom. Like, it was almost like a flash grenade went off. So I was like, tried to get up to celebrate. Once I couldn't get up, I was like, all right, can't move right now. I'm like, maybe I got a full body stinger. From there, I was like, I tried to take a deep breath, and I couldn't breathe on my own. So I felt like I got the wind knocked out of me. But I'm like, oh, man. I said, maybe I knocked the wind out of myself, but I can't move and I can't breathe. 
about 10 seconds later, I got the trainers in front of me asking me, is it your head or your neck? And I'm like, I can't breathe. That's all I could get out at the time. And they're like, can you move this or can you feel this? Can you feel that? I'm just like, I can't breathe. That's all I could say to them at the time. Were you freaking out or what? I was nervous, very nervous. But I, well, since I couldn't breathe and I was just I was tired from running down there on kickoff, I was trying to do anything I could to slow my, you know, slow my right. breath down from, like, panting like that. So I was trying to slow that down. And then Coach Shiano came out, and he looked down at me, and he told me to pray. And honestly, when he said that, just to pray, I'm like, this is this is bad. This My life might be over right here. I can't move. I can't breathe. Coach Shiano told me to pray. I'm like, this is it. Right. I'm like, well, did that is- help when he said that, or did and it make I mean, it worse? No, I mean, I'm thinking, no, I'm, of course I'm praying for a gas of air at the time. Right. But, I'm like, this, I'm like, my life has a chance to be over right here. So what was, like, the diagnosis when you got to the hospital? Well, I didn't hear this from the, from, from the beginning because I was getting ready for surgery, but they straight up told my mom. They came in there and said, your son has fractured his C3, C4 vertebrae. He'll be paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of his life. He'll be on a ventilator for the rest of his life. He won't be able to breathe on his own. He'll never eat solid foods, of course, never walk again. And we're hoping that he's, his body is strong enough and healthy enough to make it through the surgery because he may have complications and he couldn't pa- That's know, pass That's insane, yeah. Through the surgery. So imagine he, Scott Vallone was in the room, actually, when he heard Oh, when that. it happened? And he, bu- he, I remember I heard he busted out the room and just screamed, F no, just, like, just screamed and lost it on the floor. Damn. And my mom was just sitting right there, just like, you know, could only In imagine. shock, I'm sure. Yeah, so it was... Wasn't wasn't a wasn't a good sign, you know. For I always say the people around me that were the closest to me had it worse than I had it. I was so drugged up and medicated, I don't know anything. On. Yeah, these the ones like my family, my friends, and teammates that are around me, they were hearing all this stuff, so they had it worse than me the first week. Right. So you, you they told you all these things that you wouldn't be able to do, oh. right? So, um, what obstacles were you to did you overcome? I know you eventually got mm. off the the ventilator and stuff. Yeah. So can you talk about? You know how you how you've proved people wrong. Yeah, and the ventilator was the first thing that I was able to come off of. It was, you know, one night I was just sitting in Kessler and I'm like, I can't sleep right now. Just the noise that it was making was absolutely killing me. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm not gonna get any sleep. So I asked my respiratory therapist. I'm like, can you please take this this off? Let me get a, a minute or so without it off. She goes, All right, if I take it off, you off the ventilator, you might last a minute or so. I'm like, maybe I'll fall asleep in that minute. Perfect. Right. She takes me off and. Hour and a half later, I was still breathing on my own, and she was like, "Oh, oh maybe, maybe you are ready to wean off of this thing." And week and a half later, I was breathing on my own fully again. And from there, was getting a feeding tube out of my stomach, and I, I got hurt on October sixteenth, and I, that Thanksgiving, I was able to eat a full solid meal with my family. To then, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, from there to it was at the Super Bowl party. I'll never forget. It was, I had a bunch of friends up there for, for my a Super Bowl party to watch the game, and I remember moving my shoulder at the time when they told me I would never move anything below my you know my neck and all of a sudden i started lifting up my shoulder sure. and my elbow came up just so slightly a little bit and everyone was like oh my god i'm like yeah from now i'm shimmy shake dancing all over <laughs> moving around but um yeah so things came are coming back for me slowly but surely but in the beginning just seeing all that and i said right after the ventilator thing i'm like the doctor told me i'll never come off of this how can he tell me i'll never walk again when five weeks later i'm breathing on my own exactly yeah that's awesome that's a good uh good mindset so when you were on a, a feeding tube, has that, you know, increased your appreciation for, for food? Like, what, what's your favorite, uh, your go-to meal? Oh, man, I, I'm a bad eater. I ain't going to lie to you. I, <laughs> I love burgers, fries, pizza, milkshakes. 
that's me. Mom's that's, cookies, yeah. Mom's cookies. <laughs> just, shoot, I wish you could make some now, but that's the I was only eat two times a day now since I'm only I'm not burning as many calories as I used to. But right. I'm the biggest junk food eater there is out there. I love me a grease shrimp sandwich and things oh, like that. Awesome. Um, all right, so. What's your support system uh, been like since uh, since your injury? Oh, it's incredible, man. It's honestly what keeps me going every day. You know, my if you I see a lot of people with this injury, they lose a lot of friends. They lose a lot of fam- family members. Things get tough, and family members don't know how to react, and they just don't talk to the person. Me, my family has grown so much closer. We get to see each other almost every weekend now. That's awesome. You know, get to you know do we go out to dinner now? We all laughed before. My injury, my family, you know, we saw each other on holidays and things. We weren't close. Everyone was just going about their business. I was in school. Everyone would go to work for five days a week. Week during football season, they were coming to games during off season. And, hey, we'll see, see you in the next holiday. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Now, now we see each other so much. And then my friends, we've grown closer. I've gained more friends that are even closer to me now. And then my community of people that I don't know that continue to support me at my events that I have from my foundation team, LeGrand or the Chris Dana Reed Foundation, or just reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Like my fa- just like it's like my fan base. Right. Like I have people I have no idea who they are, but they support me. What's been the coolest message that you've gotten from someone? Uh, coolest message. I get a lot, a lot of messages, but I get you know some incredible stories that people tell me that how they persevered through this because they read my book or they. They heard about my story. And I always tell people my speeches. I'm like, I think about the people that do tweet me. Like, I ran three miles today because I know you would do anything to run again. Or I went to the gym today because I know you would do anything to be under that bench press again, being able to do that right. stuff. Or there was a little girl from seven years old Facebook messaging me. Oh, I did my book report on you because I got to read your book and you're so inspiring. Stuff like that and it touches my heart, man. It makes me feel like, all right, you are doing good in this world. You have a responsibility to awesome. live up to, yeah, to not true. give up. For sure. So where did the uh, Believe motto come from? It all started when I was in high school. Remember when Coos got those stickers for the helmets? Yeah, Yeah, those are awesome, man. But uh, when I was in high school, we had to believe above our locker room that we used to go out, and I always used to hit the E.L. I never told anybody about it until the summer of 2010, before a few months before I got hurt. told one of my best friends, John Nevins, about it, how I used to always Always hit the the E.L. on the way out. Never told anybody about that before, and then I tell him about it, and a few months later, that's, that becomes that's the, the mantra. You got to, you know, the mantra, believe. And then everyone realized, you know, John said, you know, he used to hit the EL for his initials and believe. And everyone was like, wow, like we got a, that's the highlight of believe, right? His name is, I mean, his initials are right in it. So that's cool. That's where it all started. At. That's awesome, man. Um, so what was like your recovery rehab stuff like immediately after your injury? Like what kind of stuff did they have you working on in, in uh, rehab? In the beginning, it was just trying to be able to breathe. <laughs> I remember. I would have to put a air balloon on my stomach, and I would have to try to breathe out and hold it up, and then be able to bring it back in and okay. control. And then sometimes they make me hold it up longer, like shorter things like that. This was right after I got off the ventilator. It was stuff like that, just stretching. So then I started trying to stand in a little standing frame, and I remember I stood up for the first time and almost passed out within two seconds of standing up. And because your blood pressure, yeah, exactly, you said my in your blood book, pressure, yeah. yeah, with my level of injury. Since my muscles are paralyzed, they're not forcing the blood back to my brain when I stand up. Right. You know, when people stand up, you move around. You got muscles that are moving that you don't even know that is pumping the blood back up to your brain. Right. With me, when I stand up, since my muscles are paralyzed, nothing is forcing that blood back to the brain. So I can sometimes, now, you know, you, you can gain the tolerance of it. I've stood up to over 30 minutes before, so sometimes I, got, I get dizzy in a minute and I got to sit back down. So 
Right. It's pretty crazy the way that the body works. How did you approach like goal setting in, in your rehab? Like you, you went from being, mm-hmm. you know, the visual one athlete, um, using your muscles all the time. Now you, you can't use your muscles anymore. So how did that, you know, even mentally, you know, how did you kind of think about how you're going to attack your rehab? Mentally, attacking it was the same way I attacked, you know, going into weight room sessions and on the field, you know. Something you're not always going to want to do. You know, you wake up sore and some days you don't want to do it, but you got to go in there. You got to get the job done. That's why I say being an athlete has honestly helped my rehab so much, especially from a mental point. Being able to go into therapy, like, I got to do this anyway. I got to get this done. Right. You know, being able to, like, transition from it. That's a lot of people, maybe someone who never has been an athlete before, and they fall down, they break their back, you know, cleaning their gutter, and now they all of a sudden... They got to go to rehab three, four, five right, times right. a week. They don't have that athlete's mindset sometimes, and then sometimes it comes back. So it helped you, them. yeah. It helped me. I knew what I had to get done and what I wanted to do. Like I said, my ultimate goal still is to walk again one day. Again one day. I wish I could put short-term girls on this injury, but, you know, I could control you know, control what I can't control and yeah. everything else. I just leave in God's hands. Awesome. All right, so what was it like coming out for the West Virginia game? You, you, I remember you – in your book, you talked about the reason why you did it, but what was it like when you actually got out there? It was first off, it was cold, and I yeah, said it was to snowing myself, that like, day. "What am I doing?" For, you know, five feet of snow in a blizzard. I think that was the coldest game I've ever experienced, at, but during my time at <laughs> it Rutgers, it was ridiculous, yeah. man. This should be a no football game being played that day, but you know, yeah. that's what it was all about. You know, handling adversity. But when I got out there, it was the first time I ever actually almost got emotional. You know, you never actually see me like cry during this injury. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, well, I could probably kind of, you know, maybe my hands, maybe three hands. Many times I cried through my through my injury. But um, when I was out there, I'll never forget. I saw when I got to the sideline, after I came through and everything, we let it out smiling and everything. It was a really cool moment. Get to the sideline, I see Steve Baharnas come up to me, our starter middle linebacker, yep. crying, like crying from that moment. And then the next person I see was my freshman year roommate, Brandon Jones. Comes up to me, just walks right Juice, past me. Juice, right? Juice, <laughs> bawling his eyes out. And right there, I kind of got the frog in my throat for a second. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like nah, nah, this ain't happening here on Channel 7 right now. Nope, on ABC, <laughs> no way. And I was just like, oh, turn my head real quick. I'm like, they, they almost caught me in the moment. I've never been choked up like that before, you know, through everything so far. And I, right there, that moment almost got me. And after that, I drove into the tunnel. I remember telling the guy who was escorting me, Bruce, I'm like, and my mom almost got me for a second. I got a little bit nervous. I thought I was going to start crying out there. Yeah. So is it because, like, you know, you're always a football player. You're trying to kind of, like, hide your emotions and stuff like that. Is that why? And did that uh, help you or hurt you, you know, in terms of, like, mentally, you know, and emotionally re- recovering? Well, to be honest with you, I do. If I would have started crying out there, I would need somebody to wipe my eyes or I wouldn't be able to see. And, <laughs> and, my mom, froze. and my mom wasn't around her at the time. She was up in the stairs, so I would have had to be, I would have been driving after that with one eye. And I would have looked, believe me, it's, it's crazy. When I need my eyes, my man, no one's around. So I'm like, when, one, I thought about that. And then two, I was like, you know, I, I just, I'm like, I'm not crying out here right now. You know, I'm like, this is too good of a moment. You know, everyone's happy. Right. I'm not making everyone shed a tear crying. <laughs> That's funny. So what was your like? So what's your transition to life after sports been like in terms of like you talk about these low points that you can count you know on like mm-hmm. two hands or or whatever? Um, how do you kind of work through those those instances and you know kind of reframe your mindset, and not think about the what ifs and and mm-hmm. stuff like that? You know, I still always think about where I would be today. That's what I've been my belief if I would have made it to the NFL. You know, this would be my fifth training camp already coming up. Yep, fifth year in the NFL. I think about that every day. You know, but you know where I go when I when I get down, like when I wish I could do something. 
Honestly, I think about the people I've met over the years now that have it ten times worse than me. You know, the people that that wish that they were in my position. It's crazy to say that. I wish that they were sharing their story. You know, right. being able to do a podcast like this. But I know thousands of people that would love to be able to do this. So when I think about my situation, I get down. I'm like, you know what? I don't have it bad. Look at my house I live in. Look at the car that I have people driving me. And look at the life that I'm living. You know, people would die for this. Yeah, focus life. on what you and have. And it makes right? me realize, you know what? I don't have it that bad at all. So stop, you know, get up. Like, what am I complaining about? People have it 10 times worse than you are. They're better than right now. Meanwhile, you're out here traveling the world with your friends and things like that. You right. Know? Makes me, it brings me back into shape real quick. Awesome. Um, so when did you start getting into sports broadcasting? Is that something you always wanted to do? Always. I always wanted to go to the NFL, retire, become a sports broadcaster. That was always my goal and my dream, you know, to do. And then once I got hurt, I'm like, you know, I definitely need a career from here. And I got to work the spring game in 2011, April 2011. And, you know, I tried it out. I'm like, oh, this isn't easy at all from there. So right. I love my What's not easy about it? First off, you got, you're, the, you're their eyes. They were on the radio. I was working on right. the radio. You're their eyes, so you got to explain everything. And then, detail by detail. And then I was, and I was talking too much football terminology that I was talking about at Rutgers. I got to learn. I talked football one on one. Not yeah, everyone, people don't know that. Not yeah. everyone knows what an ace block is or a deuce block on the defense. You know, you got to yeah. explain it. I explain it to people. Some like that people don't think about. They take it's, it for granted when they're watching. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh wow. So my mentor, Chris Carlin, who, because everyone, you know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, you're doing a great job. Blah blah blah. Chris Carl's like, no, you need to do this, blah, blah, blah. That's that's what I needed. Somebody to be not tell me I was how great I was doing. Right, somebody right. To tell me the things I was doing wrong so exactly. I could get so better. Get better yeah. And he still to this day gets on me when I when I'm, you know, messing up or if I need to <laughs> need to be louder, show more energy here, this and that. Yeah. Chris Carl is my guy. Cool. Um, yeah, it's cool to have mentors that look out for you like that. Mm-hmm. Um so what's uh, can you talk about your relationship with Mal- Malcolm Brown after after the injury? Yeah, Malcolm was actually you know really cool. You know, I had him out at my birthday party a few years ago in the city while he was in town. You know, he's uh, been a huge you know a huge part of my life. You know, when I think about you know inspiration, inspire and inspiring people, I'll never forget the letter he sent me the day I, gra- I graduated in 2014. He he actually sent me a text message saying, "Eric, you know, congratulations on graduating." I use your motivation and inspiration every single day as I lead troops in the battle to serve and protect our country. And when I got that message, I'm like, whoa, yeah, yeah, like, like he's thinking about me as he's leading his cadets to go into battle and, and like I said, risking their lives, putting their lives on the line right. every day for, to serve and protect us. I'm like, that's that's special right there for sure. Know? And I still like when I talked to him on Facebook. You know, I believe last time I talked to him, he was in South Korea or somewhere, you okay. know, stationed off. But yeah, he he's still a part of my life. In the beginning, he was actually you know real nervous to talk to me. You know, he wrote me a letter saying like how sorry he was. I'm like, listen, there's no reason for you to be sorry. I was the one who tackled you. Right. You were running the ball, and no reason for you to be sorry. And then from there, we kicked it off. He he, him and a few other cadets came down to Rutgers uh, that following summer. I got to show them around the Hale Center where all right. where you know all about that. Yep. The next summer, I got to go up there and and live a day with what they doing. After that's that. a cool uh, place up there, oh West Point. Oh my God, it's beautiful up there, and I got to see what they do on a daily basis. And I got a whole. How new did it compare to Rutgers football? I'm like, like you know, practice was of course Rutgers was always hard. You think I'm like, these guys go through practice, but they gotta go through so much more throughout their day. Five o'clock waking up, you know, yeah. everyone's eating breakfast at the same time. From there, off to your classes. Then you get state. You got different types of stations for training that you. That you learn about, that you learn for to serve and protect the country. From there, 
going to football practice and then sometimes having class after that, some type of physical training for your for just being in the army. I'm just like, I don't know how you guys do this all in one day. It is right. crazy. Cool. Um, so, do you talk with other athletes who had spinal cord injuries? Yeah, I talked to Adam. Big one of my biggest motivations is Adam Telefero, who broke his neck back in 2000 playing for Penn State as a freshman versus Ohio State, and they told him he'll never walk again, never do this, never do that. And a year later, he, a year and a half later, he led his team back on the field versus the Miami Hurricanes. And I just always picture that day in my mind where I'm able to walk out on yep. the field and do that same thing. And talk to athletes all the time. You know that that. What do you tell the athletes? I just just tell them, you, gotta, you know, people that are in a similar situation as me, you just yeah. got to take it day by day, be appreciative for the things that you do have. Don't focus on the things that you don't have and work your butt off. For If you want something, you work your butt off to go get it. You know, you already have the mindset, you know, of being an athlete and working hard for something. You just got to angle it in a different way now. Exactly. This is your life that yeah. you want to live. So that's why I try to tell them to just stay positive and just try to live live life to the fullest. You know, don't be... Don't be all upset about it, you know. It's it's it sucks. It's it's a terrible situation, but you can make the best out of life, and you can enjoy life still on a daily basis, like I do. It's a great attitude. Um, so, what things did you learn from Coach Yano and, and playing under Coach Yano that you still use today? I use his definition that he embedded in our head every single day, and it's the definition of success. And it's the peace of mind you get knowing you did everything you could to be the best you could be, no matter what it was. That if I had feels my broadcasting. It feels my motivational speaking. It feels me going to therapy. It feels me even hanging out with my friends. If I was, if I gave my all at whatever it was, right. and I sleep well at night with my head down, lay down on my pillow, and I give my all. I live life with no, really, no, really no excuses. You know, you go out, you handle your business, do what you need to do to get done. And I just a lot of just a lot of stuff that he used to preach about. Awesome. I still live my life, and it keeps me keeps me going every day. Cool. So, what do you think about his uh, his proposition or proposal i mean for uh changing the rules on kickoff which mm-hmm. was uh on fourth so after scoring touchdowns right you, yeah. you make the the down distance fourth and 15 from the minus 30 and you like have a chance to go for it and i didn't yeah. I didn't like that I no just, people always ask me this question too about kickoff like changing the rules yeah. I honestly, it's a part of the game right i know it's a big play you know people get hurt on it because you got full people running full speed into each other but People make their careers off of it. There won't be no Devin Hester without oh, special teams. Oh, that's true. Yeah, man. People make a lot of a living off of special teams in the NFL. They may never play down on offense or defense, but they're so that takes that special opportunity teams from heroes. Them. That yeah. takes it away from them. Yeah, and it's just, just, just a game changer. Yeah. yeah momentum changes. But you think if somebody has a you kick off, you got all the momentum. Everyone's all hyped up. You just scored a touchdown. Somebody takes that touchdown back. It changes the whole game. Exactly, yeah. Take a kickoff. It just – it's too important of a piece of of the game to take out. Yeah, um, that's it. I didn't think that I was gonna get that answer, but that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you ever regret playing football? Never, never on the day of my life. The game of football has made me to the person I am today. Yeah, the lessons I've learned playing the game, the battles I went through, you know, the struggles, the friends you made, and the friends exactly, the locker room memories that. That's what I, those are the things I've missed the most yeah. in the locker room. After Speaking practice. of locker room memories, I remember after the St. Petersburg Bowl <laughs> when you broke it down in front of everyone. Yeah, I remember like it was yesterday. That was awesome, yeah, man. I'm, you I'm, say Rutgers? No, I say Rutgers. It was R U R U R U R U. Say UCF. Who say? And they say UCF five. Of course, I said they talk some trash. They talk some trash. I said we play with class. You see that score? They don't want no more. more. Yeah, we won that fight. <laughs> we won that. We won that fight. We party tonight. We that was. Yeah. that was awesome. I remember I had a video of it posted on Facebook. Yeah, that was, that was so cool. It was a good time. Always, it's always fun in the locker room after a win, man. Yep. 
So crazy Not so much stuff. after a loss, but yeah, everyone um, just need to put your head down, get get in the shower, and get get out, get dressed, and go home. Yeah, man. I mean, after you got hurt, I mean, you were definitely like the emotional leader on the mm-hmm. team, like no doubt. And after you got hurt, like it just definitely wasn't the same at all. Yeah, um, I hear, like, of course, I wasn't there, but yeah, the I heart hear, of the team was like, I hear it wasn't about there. it and yeah. everything. And it's unfortunate we didn't win another game that year. It was unfortunate. No, I mean, I'm not surprised at all, though. Um, just based off of like what you you meant to the team, mm-hmm. um, so what how, how has faith played uh, a role in your recovery? No, I've, I say I got a special relationship with God. I've grown closer to Him. I every night I thank Him for everything that He's given me, and then I pray after I thank Him for you know everything. And you know it's honestly been a blessing that everything that's happened to me after this injury, which is pretty crazy to say the awards I've gotten to do to be able to start a career. You know, after this injury, being able to go here, go there, you know, stuff like that, the people I've gotten to meet. It's honestly been just a true blessing, and I just thank God for it because I know without him, none of this is possible. And I know that he has a plan for me through this injury. You know, something I may not see or may not understand why, but I know that there's a, there's right. a bigger piece to this whole Did thing. Did you always have uh, faith in, I, in God? Or? I've always had faith, faith in God, of course. You know, I, I never really, you know, thought about it as much as I do now nah, because right. of the way my injuries changed now. I was out there playing football, but I've always had my faith in God and always knew that he had a plan for me. I never knew it would be something as crazy as this, but I just know that there, there's something more as as time goes on. It's just you have to see. That's what faith is. Right. You know, you believe in, in something that you can't see. Awesome. Um, so what's been some of the coolest experiences you've had since your injury? Maybe well, Name the number one, if you could pick it. By far, it's got to be the ESPYs. Since yeah. Winning the Jimmy V. Perseverance Award in 2012 at the ESPYs. Being able to address the crowd, you know, you got Eli Manning in front of you. You got um, what was that like? Tuck, Tim Tebow. You got I love Kenny Tebow. Chesney. Tebow's my favorite. Kenny Chesney yeah. was that right there in the front row too, like all these people. And I remember I just said, you know, because I never write down anything before I speak, and all my friends were all nervous, like, you're not gonna write anything down. You're on no, the TV in front of millions of it. people. And I went up there and I just shared my story from my heart and the time period that I that I had, even though I went over that too. I didn't care, but I was sharing my story. You with didn't the world. think about it once before you went up there. No, I, I just, I know my story, and I know what I want to say. And I, when I get out there, I fill out the crowd, and I said, you know what? I'm not gonna look down in the front row. I'm gonna just look towards the back at all these faces that I have no idea who yeah, they yeah, are, yeah, so I don't go. mess up and stumble over my words. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, dribbling over Kenny Chesney over there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so, last two questions. Um, so, you got a lot of tattoos. So. Can you talk about some of like the meaning behind those tattoos? Yeah, my my recent one I got was um I got my my niece my my two nephews uh their their zodiac signs tattooed on my arm you know they they're two cancers so I got two crabs and a Capricorn so I got a seagull because you know they they mean so much to me and I always think about them because Xavier he was 15 months when I got hurt right so he I got to, hold, got to hold him and everything and then I see Isaac who's now five which is crazy Xavier just turned seven. And now Cameron, she's six months, going on seven months. You know, she's the the young one. And I just think, you know, those are, those are my sister's kids right there, my right. brother-in-law's kids. I really, really care for them. I really took to them, and I wanted to get them tattooed on my arm. I got faith tattooed down my bicep. I got on this side, I got a scripture, Psalms 23. I got in, in God I trust. I got Jesus' face on my side. I got family first tattooed inside. I got my last name across my back. I got, I'm big, and a lot of people don't know I'm big into Greek mythology and, okay. and history, like the Spartans. So I got a big old, my whole back is covered with this big old gladiator. Awesome. Gladiator. Well, what's gladiator. like your interest in that? I just love that stuff. Like watching Troy, the battle. Like that, I love movies like that. It's you cool. Know, gladiator. That's my, that's my type You're of movies. You're a gladiator, right yeah. So, 
So I, that's what I got tattooed on my back, and I got a few other ones, you know, throughout my arms that, you know, mean stuff to me. So Awesome, man. I love tattoos. Uh, did you have tattoos before your injury? Yeah, I had seven or eight of them before my injury, and I filled out pretty much a lot more now after my injury. So Can you feel them when you, uh, when you get question. them Great question. So certain, certain parts I do, like on my chest, I can still feel them in my chest, and now it's actually more sensitive, which is crazy. But um, I've gotten t- tattoos now where I don't feel them all the way, but my body does know something is going on. So, for example, since my back, it took me four, four, ses- four three-hour sessions to get my back done. So after three hours, my body's like, all right, it's like, done. It starts, it starts shaking and pop. Like, yeah, it's like done. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. So it took me four three-hour sessions to get my entire back Damn, done. I think so. it must be huge. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, like I said, it covers my whole back. So even though I can't. Feel them like I would normally feel them. Right. My body still it knows. knows yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. Last question. What's your personal definition of perseverance? My personal definition of perseverance is being able to look uh, adversity in the face and handle it straight on without going around it, trying to go over, under it. Just facing adversity, face on, handling your business, doing what you have to do, making no excuses and going out there and trying to be the best you can be at whatever your situation is and then complain about your situation. Just go out there and make the best of it. Awesome, Eric. Um, where can people help support support the Believe Fund? You can actually go on Team Legrand. You go to my website, teamlegrand.org, and be a part of my foundation okay. and help out that way, be a part of us. You can also go to ericlegrand.org. That's where people book me for speaking engagements, things like that. So all right, people I'll put you can look up the right Also, all my social medias, ericlegrand52 on Instagram and uh, Twitter, and then on Facebook, just Eric Legrand. Awesome. All right, thanks, Eric. Thank you.